Section twenty three of Montcalm and Wolf by Francis Parkman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight, part four. On the next day, the inhabitants appeared at the hour appointed to the number of four hundred and eighteen men. Winslow ordered a table to be set in the middle of the church and placed on it his instructions and the address he had prepared. Here he took his stand in his laced uniform with one or two subalterns from the regulars at Fort Edward and such of the Massachusetts officers as were not on guard duty. Strong, sinewy figures, bearing no doubt more or less distinctly the peculiar stamp with which toil trade and puritanism had imprinted the features of new england their commander was not of the prevailing type he was fifty-three years of age with double chin smooth forehead arched eyebrows close powdered wig and round rubicund face from which the weight of an odious duty had probably banished the smirk of self-satisfaction that dwelt there at other times. Nevertheless, he had manly and estimable qualities. The congregation of peasants clad in rough homespun turned their sunburned faces upon him, anxious and intent and Winslow delivered them by interpreters the king's orders in the following words, which, retouched in orthography and syntax, ran thus. Gentlemen, I have received from His Excellency Governor Lawrence the king's instructions, which I have in my hand. By his orders you are called together to hear his majesty's final resolution concerning the French inhabitants of this, his province of Nova Scotia, who for almost half a century have had more indulgence granted them than any of his subjects in any part of his dominions. What use you have made of it, you yourselves best know. The duty I am now upon, though necessary, is very disagreeable to my natural make and temper, as I know it must be grievous to you, who are of the same species. But it is not my business to animadvert on the orders I have received, but to obey them, and therefore without hesitation I shall deliver to you his majesty's instructions and commands which are that your lands and tenements and cattle and livestock of all kinds are forfeited to the crown with all your other effects except money and household goods and that you yourselves are to be removed from this his province the peremptory orders of his majesty are that all the french inhabitants of these districts be removed and through his majesty's goodness i am directed to allow you the liberty of carrying with you your money 
and as many of your household goods as you can take without overloading the vessels you go in i shall do everything in my power that all these goods be secured to you and that you be not molested in carrying them away and also that whole families shall go in the same vessel so that this removal which i am sensible must give you a great deal of trouble may be made as easy as his majesty's service will admit and i hope that in whatever part of the world your lot may fall you may be faithful subjects and a peaceable and happy people i must also inform you that it is his majesty's pleasure that you remain in security under the inspection and direction of the troops that i have the honour to command he then declared them prisoners of the king they were greatly struck he says at this determination though i believe they did not imagine that they were actually to be removed after delivering the address he returned to his quarters at the priest's house whither he was followed by some of the elder prisoners who begged leave to tell their families what had happened since they were fearful that the surprise of their detention would quite overcome them winslow consulted with his officers and it was arranged that the acadians should choose twenty of their number each day to revisit their homes the rest being held answerable for their return a letter dated some days before now came from major handfield at annapolis saying that he had tried to secure the men of that neighborhood but that many of them had escaped to the woods murray's report from fort edward came soon after and was more favorable i have succeeded finally and have got a hundred and eighty-three men into my possession to which winslow replies i have the favor of yours of this day and rejoice at your success and also for the smiles that have attended the party here but he adds mournfully things are now very heavy on my heart and hands the prisoners were lodged in the church and notice was sent to their families to bring them food thus says the diary of the commander ended the memorable fifth of september a day of great fatigue and trouble there was one quarter where fortune did not always smile major jedediah preble of winslow's battalion wrote to him that major fry had just returned from chipody whither he had gone with a party of men to destroy the settlements and bring off the women and children after burning two hundred and fifty-three buildings he had re-embarked leaving fifty men on shore at a place called petticodiac to give a finishing stroke to the work by burning the mass-house or church while thus engaged they were set upon by three hundred indians and acadians led by the partisan officer Boschebert. more than half their number were killed wounded or taken 
the rest ensconced themselves behind the neighboring dikes and fry hastily landing with the rest of his men engaged the assailants for three hours but was forced at last to re-embark captain speakman who took part in the affair also sent winslow an account of it and added the people here are much concerned for fear your party should meet with the same fate being in the heart of a numerous devilish crew which i pray god avert winslow had indeed some cause for anxiety he had captured more acadians since the fifth and had now in charge nearly five hundred able-bodied men with scarcely three hundred to guard them as they were allowed daily exercise in the open air they might by a sudden rush get possession of arms and make serious trouble on the wednesday after the scene in the church some unusual movements were observed among them and winslow and his officers became convinced that they could not safely be kept in one body five vessels lately arrived from boston were lying within the mouth of the neighboring river it was resolved to place fifty of the prisoners on board each of these and keep them anchored in the basin the soldiers were all ordered under arms and posted on an open space beside the church and behind the priest's house the prisoners were then drawn up before them ranked six deep the young unmarried men as the most dangerous being told off and placed on the left to the number of a hundred and forty-one captain adams with eighty men was then ordered to guard them to the vessels though the object of the movement had been explained to them they were possessed with the idea that they were to be torn from their families and sent away at once and they all in great excitement refused to go winslow told them that there must be no parley or delay and as they still refused a squad of soldiers advanced towards them with fixed bayonets while he himself laying hold of the foremost young man commanded him to move forward he obeyed and the rest followed though slowly and went off praying singing and crying being met by the women and children all the way which is a mile and a half with great lamentation upon their knees praying when the escort returned about a hundred of the married men were ordered to follow the first party and the ice being broken they readily complied the vessels were anchored at a little distance from shore and six soldiers were placed on board each of them as a guard the prisoners were offered the king's rations but preferred to be supplied by their families who it was arranged should go in boats to visit them every day and thus says winslow ended this troublesome job he was not given to effusions of feeling but he wrote to major handfield this affair is more grievous to me than any service i was ever employed in 
Murray sent him a note of congratulation. I am extremely pleased that things are so clever at Grand Pré, and that the poor devils are so resigned. Here they are more patient than I could have expected for people in their circumstances, and what surprises me still more is the indifference of the women, who really are or seem quite unconcerned. I long much to see the poor wretches embarked and our affair a little settled, and then I will do myself the pleasure of meeting you and drinking their good voyage. This agreeable consummation was still distant. There was a long and painful delay. The provisions for the vessels which were to carry the prisoners did not come, nor did the vessels themselves, excepting the five already at Grand Pré. In vain Wilson wrote urgent letters to George Saul, the commissary, to bring the supplies at once. Murray at Fort Edward, though with less feeling than his brother officer, was quite as impatient of the burden of suffering humanity on his hands. I am amazed what can keep the transports and Saul. Surely our friends at Chignecto is willing to give us as much of our neighbor's company as he well can. Saul came at last with a shipload of provisions, but the lagging transports did not appear. Winslow grew heart-sick at the daily sight of miseries which he himself had occasioned, and wrote to a friend at Halifax. I know they deserve all and more than they feel, yet it hurts me to hear their weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I am in hopes our affairs will soon put on another face, and we get transports, and I rid of the worst piece of service that ever I was in. After weeks of delay, seven transports came from Annapolis, and Winslow sent three of them to Murray, who joyfully responded, Thank God the transports are come at last. So soon as I have shipped off my rascals, I will come down and settle matters with you, and enjoy ourselves a little. Winslow prepared for the embarkation. The Acadian prisoners and their families were divided into groups answering to their several villages, in order that those of the same village might, as far as possible, go in the same vessel. It was also provided that the members of each family should remain together, and notice was given them to hold themselves in readiness. But even now, he writes, I could not persuade the people I was in earnest. Their doubts were soon ended. The first embarkation took place on the 8th of October, under which date the diary contains this entry. Began to embark the inhabitants who went off very solitarily and unwillingly, the women in great distress, carrying off their children in their arms, others carrying their decrepit parents in their carts, with all their goods moving in great confusion, and appeared a scene of woe and distress. 
though a large number were embarked on this occasion still more remained and as the transports slowly arrived the dismal scene was repeated at intervals with more order than at first as the acadians had learned to accept their fate as a certainty so far as winslow was concerned their treatment seems to have been as humane as was possible under the circumstances but they complained of the men who disliked and despised them one soldier received thirty lashes for stealing fowls from them and an order was issued forbidding soldiers or sailors on pain of summary punishment to leave their quarters without permission that an end may be put to distressing this distressed people two of the prisoners however while trying to escape were shot by a reconnoitring party at the beginning of november winslow reported that he had sent off fifteen hundred and ten persons in nine vessels and that more than six hundred still remained in his district the last of these were not embarked till late in december murray finished his part of the work at the end of october having sent from the district of fort edward eleven hundred persons in four frightfully crowded transports at the close of that month sixteen hundred and sixty-four had been sent from the district of annapolis where many others escaped to the woods a detachment which was ordered to seize the inhabitants of the district of cobequid failed entirely finding the settlements abandoned in the country about fort cumberland monckton who directed the operation in person had very indifferent success catching in all but little more than a thousand Guern, missionary priest in this neighborhood gives a characteristic and affecting incident of the embarkation many unhappy women carried away by excessive attachment to their husbands whom they had been allowed to see too often and closing their ears to the voice of religion and their missionary threw themselves blindly and despairingly into the english vessels and now was seen the saddest of spectacles for some of these women solely from a religious motive refused to take with them their grown-up sons and daughters they would expose their own souls to perdition among heretics but not those of their children when all or nearly all had been sent off from the various points of departure such of the houses and barns as remained standing were burned in obedience to the orders of lawrence that those who had escaped might be forced to come in and surrender themselves the whole number removed from the province men women and children was a little above six thousand many remained behind and while some of these withdrew to canada Ile st john and other distant retreats the rest lurked in the woods or returned to their old haunts 
whence they waged for several years a guerrilla warfare against the english yet their strength was broken and they were no longer a danger to the province of their exiled countrymen one party overpowered the crew of the vessel that carried them ran her ashore at the mouth of the st john and escaped the rest were distributed among the colonies from massachusetts to georgia the master of each transport having been provided with a letter from lawrence addressed to the governor of the province to which he was bound and desiring him to receive the unwelcome strangers the provincials were vexed at the burden imposed upon them and though the acadians were not in general ill-treated their lot was a hard one still more so was that of those among them who escaped to canada the chronicle of the ursulines of quebec speaking of these last says that their misery was indescribable and attributes it to the poverty of the colony but there were other causes the exiles found less pity from kindred and fellow catholics than from the heretics of the english colonies some of them who had made their way to canada from boston whither they had been transported sent word to a gentleman of that place who had befriended them that they wished to return bougainville the celebrated navigator then aide-de-camp to montcalm says concerning them they are dying by wholesale their past and present misery joined to the rapacity of the canadians who seek only to squeeze out of them all the money they can and then refuse them the help so dearly bought are the cause of this mortality a citizen of quebec he says farther on was in debt to one of the partners of the great company government officials leagued for plunder he had no means of paying they gave him a great number of acadians to board and lodge he starved them with hunger and cold got out of them what money they had and paid the extortioner quelles quelles many of the exiles eventually reached louisiana where their descendants now form a numerous and distinct population some after incredible hardship made their way back to acadia where after the peace they remained unmolested and with those who had escaped seizure became the progenitors of the present acadians now settled in various parts of the british maritime provinces notably at madawaska on the upper st john and at clare in nova scotia others were sent from virginia to england and others again after the complete conquest of the country found refuge in france in one particular the authors of the deportation were disappointed in its results they had hoped to substitute a loyal population for a disaffected one but they failed for some time to find settlers for the vacated lands 
the Massachusetts soldiers, to whom they were offered, would not stay in the province, and it was not till five years later that families of British stock began to occupy the waste fields of the Acadians. This goes far to show that a longing to become their heirs had not, as has been alleged, any considerable part in the motives for their removal. New England humanitarianism, melting into sentimentality at a tale of woe, has been unjust to its own. Whatever judgment may be passed on the cruel measure of wholesale expatriation, it was not put in execution till every resource of patience and persuasion had been tried in vain. The agents of the French court, civil, military, and ecclesiastical, had made some act of force a necessity. We have seen by what vile practices they produced in Acadia a state of things intolerable and impossible of continuance. They conjured up the tempest, and when it burst on the heads of the unhappy people, they gave no help. The government of Louis XV began with making the Acadians its tools, and ended with making them its victims. End of section 23